Friends, this morning we are moving deeper and deeper into the holy season of Advent, a time in the church which is chiefly set aside for repentance and for serious preparation. And the preparing called for is not only for that Christmas tide that I was talking about with the kids there that's approaching, but it is more importantly a preparation for a second coming of Christ that we've been looking forward to for 2,000 years, that which will be a marker for all of us of the coming end of time. And this morning we're arriving again at the story of the very one who most exemplifies this Advent season in Holy Scripture. He who was to be the last great Hebrew prophet to proclaim both the first coming of Christ the Messiah 2,000 years ago and the second coming of the Savior at the end of days. That prophet is, of course, John the Baptist, the wild man whose voice we just heard in the Gospel of Matthew, which still rings out to us across the ages. It is John the Baptist who continues to proclaim to the world in every single generation, over and over again, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now for many in his own age, John the Baptist was so fiery and so prophetic that it was thought that he himself must either be the long-awaited Elijah, who the Jews still look for to appear again to announce the coming of a Messiah, or they believed that he himself was that kingly Messiah that they were looking for. In fact, the Gospel of John, in that Gospel, two of the men who are now remembered as disciples of Jesus, one of which was St. Andrew, the brother of St. Peter, begin in their life as disciples of John the Baptist. It is only when John himself sees Jesus walking and declares, Behold the Lamb of God! that Andrew and the other disciple leave John the Baptist and begin following Jesus, going forth and bringing in others, including Simon Peter, to become the disciples first and later for all of us, the apostles of our Lord. Of course, today, what we all remember most when we hear these stories of John the Baptist comes from how he is described in all four of the Gospels more than anything else. Matthew this morning tells us again that John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, Beale Peters, who's visiting with us this morning playing the organ for us while Michael's away, came up to me after the first service and informed me he actually owns a camel hair jacket. But I don't think that's the camel hair that John the Baptist is being referred to wearing in the Gospels. And if that's not the case, it certainly isn't eating locusts and wild honey. That image, at least alone, gives us the classic image from uh, John as a disheveled, dirty, wild man living in the wilderness with a focused madness, a focused madness on God and God alone above everything else. And that is our image of John the Baptist. I suspect today that the closest version we might run into of who John might have been would be that man that we sometimes see out on the streets with dirty, long, uncut hair and torn, ragged clothing. A man who, in all honesty, we would never want to get very close to. And I can only imagine that to hear John 
would be like hearing someone who walks into the silence of a library or maybe to a Sunday morning church service and suddenly begins yelling out and speaking in tongues, absolutely unsettling and frightening everyone who is within earshot. So if that was really the case of who John the Baptist was, what he looked like, what he did, how is it that all those years ago, when people really weren't that much different than we are today, that John the Baptist has so many people coming out into the desert to see him and to hear him? What is it that must have been impacting those people in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem, and in Judea to actually cause them to go out and seek this guy, then to be baptized by him in that salty water of the Jordan River? Obviously, something must have been going on. It must have been a time when people found themselves distressed, worried, when people were concerned and conflicted about their world, when people were seeking a voice, any voice, to give them back the direction and the hope that they needed again, to unite them to the God who set up their community and brought their people into the promised land. For in the time of John the Baptist 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were absolutely in a time of struggle. Their country, as we know, was under the rule of the colonial Roman Empire. And though they were allowed to practice their faith in their own country, those who were in power were without question corrupt and violent and far more interested in their own wants and needs over those of the people they oversaw and certainly over and against the laws of God in the Hebrew Scripture. And there were even indications that the very religious leaders in the temples and the synagogues at that time were in role with the Roman rulers and not doing what God called his people to do. So when the people of that time heard about this new loud voice of a prophet calling them to come out into the desert to repent, to reform, and start changing their failing direction, to be cleansed in baptism, to hear the message of the one who was coming to finally fully restore God's people and God's plan. Then the Bible tells us that they left their cities and they went into the desert in mass. And the gospel goes on to tell us this morning that they were baptized by John in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. And I have to tell you, if all that's true, and there's absolutely no reason for us to believe it was not, then maybe, just maybe, that's somehow the same reason why this wild man, as crazy as John the Baptist, may have been then, as it is today for us modern Christians, someone who we are connected to, who we hear in our own lives and times, who we want to know more about. Maybe it is because John's message never fails in speaking to us, who find ourselves and our families and our friends living today in a worried, concerned, conflicted, divisive, and violent world. And if John the Baptist were to be standing out on the street corners today, calling us out to the wilderness here and now, what do you think might change in what he has to say? I have to tell you that the more I think about that, the more I'm quite sure he'd probably be proclaiming the very same message that we find set forth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. I believe he would be calling out to us and proclaiming 
Brothers and sisters, it's time again to repent and reform your lives. For the kingdom of God is already upon us and it will come again, perhaps sooner than any of us think. The time is here to prepare and to make straight, crooked pathways in this terribly fallen world. And I don't think he'd be saying that here in the middle of December because John was some grumpy old curmudgeon who was like an underdressed, bad-breathed Ebenezer Scrooge just declaring bah humbug on our need and want for a little Christmas happiness and cheer as quick as we can get it. Quite to the contrary, I believe John the Baptist would be saying this again because it's he who understands the conflict and the injustice and the fear that no matter how much we try to cover it up with, we face right now every day of our lives. And thus he is driven to call out our culture's lethargy, its apathy, its inertia, and its sinful, self-serving egotism and distractions. Not out of anger or some sort of judgment, but really because he knows that God loves us, that God is concerned, that God is giving us everything and he wants us to receive it and be changed. Friends, the church for nearly 2,000 years has viewed the importance of Advent and of the message of John the Baptist, not just for the preparations for the arrival of the feast of Christ's birth, but as preparation and anticipation for what was referred to in the Middle Ages as the last things. These last things called on the people in the church to meditate in the Advent season before Christmas arrived on four things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Now I know what you're thinking. Those last things seem quite a long way from a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger as well as those angels that we really want to be heard on high. But listen again to these important words from the Advent prophet John the Baptist in Matthew 3 this morning. John says, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't fit more closely to those last things rather than the Christmas holiday, then maybe we need to go back and read it again. And maybe those words are not just important for the coming of a doom and gloom in the future, but maybe they do have something to say to us right here and right now when we begin to let Christ, who came and is coming again, change and reform our lives in our daily acts of faith. No, John the Baptist certainly is not a Christmas bell ringer for the Salvation Army. John the Baptist is our greatest Advent prophet, brave enough to stand in the middle of those busy streets and call out to the people, telling them that what's in stake in Christ coming into their lives is more important than anything else. For Jesus first comes to us in a cattle stall 2,000 years ago. But he comes again when we are baptized, when we grow up and are confirmed, when we feel him saving our lives over and over again. And he then keeps coming to us if we follow after him, if we reach out for him, even to that moment of death. 
And he will be with us when we enter into that new world and watch the old world burn with unquenchable fire as the new heaven and the earth are raised in a new Jerusalem. And every one of those appearance moments in our lives and in our world is so incredibly important for us to take time and think about them, to pray about them, and to prepare ourselves and to keep watch, not with fear, but with excitement. I think some of you know that my favorite Advent hymn of all time is not in the hymnal this morning. It's written and sung by Curtis Mayfield in The Impressions. And it says this, people get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no ticket. You just get on board. And brothers and sisters, if you know that the train that's coming can and will make a difference in your life and in your death and in your judgment and in either eternal heaven or eternal pain, wouldn't you want to get ready for it? Wouldn't you want to start getting your own winnowing fork in action, moving it in your day-to-day lives, clearing out that chaff of distractions and attachments, cleaning it off, burning it up, and getting your threshing floor ready for the grain and the wheat that you'll gather together. Brothers and sisters, that above all else is the most important message of every season of Advent. And it is why John the Baptist continues to call out to us in the desert to repent, to be reformed, to make ourselves ready for what's coming to us, the Savior Jesus Christ, who has come and is coming daily and will come again. In every Advent in our lives, in our final Advent, when we descend and ascend with him high into great power and glory. May we hold on to John the Baptist's call and make ourselves ready for Christ is coming.